This is Terry Howell from the Talk Back Fans Podcast, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show with the incomparable host, Greg Rempe. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure you say whatever? We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big barbecue central show. This is the show that talks about all things things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host. Greg Rempe, happy to have you along here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have your phone calls and emails. Here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, said BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening coming up in about 13 minutes from now. It's the first Tuesday. Pardon me, choking on myself. It's the first Tuesday of a month. And you know what that means in the first hour? A regular visit from the creator of How to Barbecue Right, Malcolm Reed, will be joining us shortly. We'll be recapping his time at Memphis in May last month. You would recall we got the sneak peek advance about a week out of the competition and now three weeks removed or so. We will get Malcolm's recap. And if you were following along, you saw that they took sixth place overall in the world for ribs. So we'll talk to Malcolm about the ribs finish. We'll talk to him about the weekend. Might get into a little A5 steak personal tastings amongst us as well so we'll see how it goes we can answer your questions too if you trickle them in here through phone calls and emails then after malcolm reed i will be joined by the author of the very acclaimed and hotly read black smoke adrian miller joins the show friend of show been on the show a number of times and we'll talk about the new book and how it's going and the impetus for writing the book what he looks to uncover or reveal or introduce to everybody that's reading it the backstory behind the book and if time allows we'll talk about the five total hall of fame inductees from last wednesday's exclusive reveal that will be adrian miller and that will be closing out your first hour then we'll move to the second hour at the very top because we had singing last week in the second month of Barbecue Central Show's American Idol edition, that means we have yet another person getting kicked off. I have the results. 
believe it or not. And they were not even close, and it might stagger your very brain as far as the voting went and results to one through four and who will be kicking off this evening. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag right now, so you'll have to stay tuned until the very top of the second hour where we will reveal who was getting the second boot. First boot was Doug, of course, longest-running embedded correspondent from Texas, and we will have the second getting booted off top of the second hour. And that will only leave three of us as we are now I technically into the semifinals. Two of us will go to the finals where we will do a recorded, produced duet. And then in the finals, as we did last year, whoever the finalists are will be singing live their songs for your votes. So it's hot. It's back. It's better than ever. It's American Idol Barbecue Central Show Edition, and people are loving it. And by loving it, I mean tolerating it under protest. Then... After that, learning the results of month two, we will be joined by the other first Tuesday of the month regular guest, Sam, the cooking guy in the second hour. I have a lot of food talk ready to go in the chamber, as they say. We'll see if we even get to one bit of it, but the plan is that we will get to it. We'll see how it goes. So that's your show set up for this evening. Coming up in a few short minutes, Malcolm Reed, Adrian Miller after that. Results for the Barbecue Central Show's American Idol edition at the top of the second hour, and then Sam the Cooking Guy for the duration or as long as he sees fit. If you're not following me socially, please do it. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat at BBQ Central Show for a live video feed of this show. You can also go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show, also on YouTube slash RD Rempe. If you missed the big reveal, if you've missed all the social media and all that other stuff from last week's Hall of Fame announcement, Here's who's going in. Meathead from AmazingRibs.com going in. Or should I say in. Also in for 2021, Ollie Gates, Gates Barbecue, Kansas City. And the third living member going in, Rodney Scott from South Carolina. And I believe as Robert Moss pointed out in his cue sheet earlier today, that Robert, uh, I'm sorry, that Rodney is the first South Carolinian to go into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So an extra bit of bonus for those that are in South Carolina and hold that in high esteem and regard. There were also two legacy members, which I'm not going to remember right off the top of my head. Uh, Arthur Bryant, I believe, was one of them. And then there was uh, Lytle. Oh, darn it. I'm going to forget your full name, Lytle, but I apologize. You're in, too. You're in. You're in. The last name I'm going to take a stab at, and I know it's wrong, so I'm actually not going to take a stab at it because it sounds like it's an illicit drug, and I'm not going to do it. So, Lytle, I apologize, and we'll go from there. Listener feedback from the show, Cedric in New York. Writing in, Greg, taking in the second hour as I get in some yard work, and I have to say, you guys and the singing is something else. It's not good, but I certainly appreciate everybody's effort and production value. You wouldn't catch me up there doing what you guys are doing, that's for sure. Catch up, or uh, continue the good work. All right. All right. We will continue the good work as we will press ahead to week four of June, we'll find the third month 
of Barbecue Central Show's American Idol edition, if you can believe it or not. Email from Fritz. Hey, Greg, I just wanted to let you know that my wife and I have been enjoying the podcast during our travels for the last year or so since we found out about the show. Thanks for the entertainment and excellent guests. Have you ever had Maddie and Kiki, Canada's favorite female grill masters, on your part on your podcast? Regards, Fitz. I have not. Nothing against Maddie and Kiki. You might find an argument amongst some that there may be other Canada's favorite female grill masters. Myself. Why put a label on it? Why female or male? Why not just favorite grill masters? Do you have a favorite male Canadian grill master? Maybe you do. Maybe if you want to stay in the gender genre, you might have an argument about favorite Canadian female grill masters. Not with me. Just saying in general, you never know what's happening. I have not had meaty and key. Wait a second. I have not. Andrew, you are not. I have not had Maddie and Kiki on the show. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but they have not been on the show. Tim in Oklahoma writes it. Greg, you mentioned something about rule number two of the show a few weeks ago. I'm fairly new listener and wondered if there were if there were any other rules of the show that I should be aware of. Love the show and thank you for doing it. Well, Tim, if there's a rule number two of the show, then at a bare minimum, there has to be a rule number one of the show, I think. But since you brought it up and we haven't gone over it in months, perhaps even well over a year, I will tell you now that there are currently five rules to the show. There is no rule that there is only five if a New good rule is proposed and welcomed. We'll have six rules currently. They are as follows. Number one rule, no names, please. No names. The aforementioned rule number two of the show and a great life lesson. Don't get hooked. Of course. Rule number three of the show. If it's free, it's me. Rule number three. Rule number four of the show. If the meat is good, something good is going to happen. That's a rule of the show. And finally, rule number five of the show, as we all love to say it. Don't snappy snap on the Snapchat. That's rule number six, uh, five of the show. And again, if we, there's a rule number six that is proposed, we're happy to get into that. We will review it and decide if we like a rule number six currently five rules of the show to always be adhered to unless otherwise noted let me talk to you quickly about pits and spits before we get to malcolm reed since 1983 pits and spits has been handcrafting smokers and grills in houston texas in that time pits and spits establishing itself as one of the premier brands and high quality offset smokers and pellet cookers Pits and Spits setting itself apart by using heavy 7 and 10 gauge stainless in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit, and a 304 stainless roll top lid and front shelf on every single smoker. So why does it matter? Well, by using higher quality materials, Pits and Spits smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. 
By providing a fully welded smoker, you don't have to worry about grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel or that grill rattling apart as you move it through the backyard. By using 304 Stainless, you're getting an heirloom-quality product you can pass down for generations. Now, where some qualities focus on being a low-cost provider, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these things? Yes. But they don't like tack welds, cheap stainless or electronics that you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control over the design and standards, not something you find in stuff brought in from overseas. Their steel supplier supply materials will be used in some of the harshest environments around, so they will perform in any and all conditions. And the controllers are made right here in the States. They have unimpeded transparency to the programming. Pits and Spits has a dealer network across the country. If there isn't one close to you, feel, for, uh, feel free to give them a call to shop. 844-650-6250. That's 844-650-6250. Whether you're a backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or a competition team looking to do 50 racks of ribs, Pits and Spits has a product for you. You can check them out online, pitsandspits.com, all spelled out. Or in the wild across social media with our handle at Pits and Spits, all spelled out as well. Malcolm Reed is set to go. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or give them a call at 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. My first guest tonight is my first regular standing guest on the first Tuesday of the month. Currently, 1.23 million of you are subscribing to his YouTube channel, so we go ahead and race to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Malcolm Reed. Hey, Malcolm. Malcolm. Hello. I don't have you. Are you on mute? No? All right. Try this. Disconnect out, all the way out. Come right back in. Probably be all fixed up from there. This would have happened. Uh, this would happen, of course, because Malcolm and I went through a rigorous sound check earlier. Sometimes, if you leave it connected and you don't re-disconnect or whatever the case may be, you got me this time. Now I got you. See, I'm you getting the hang of this internet <laughs> gremlin type thing. Right. Usually, it's a disconnect and then reconnect back in. So we're all set to go. Uh, Malcolm, as I had mentioned, 1.23 million YouTube subscribers. I mean, I, I would. Hazard to guess that by the time the end of the year rolls around, you'd be close to two million at this point. Ah, man, you know it keeps ticking up. We're uh, you know just just keep doing our thing and watching it grow. But uh, um, you know it's amazing how many people are watching YouTube. We, we've we've talked about it before. That's just where people go, man. If you're looking for information on something, people go to YouTube now. So it's you know it's a great it's a great website. One of my in ground sprinkler things. I'm very technical, as you know. 
uh, wasn't working properly. Wait, well, I broke it is what happened, if I'm, we're being honest. So I was like, well, I have to be able to figure out how to fix this. So I got the name of the sprinkler system that came with the house. I looked at the top of the sprinkler head. Where did I go? Right to YouTube. It said, if you want to fix it, do this. If you want to cap it, do that. I just said, hey, let's cap it because we're going to pour cement over it here in a week or two anyway. So I just capped it off and it took five minutes to watch the video. I mean, it is really a non-handyman's dream. And when we talk about cooking, I don't know if anything has single-handedly whipped up the learning curve more than YouTube. You can make an argument over the last five or six years if you took a cooking class. But typically, those were geared more towards competition folks and not just backyarders, but for guys like you and a whole bunch of other YouTube stars out there now, I don't think there has been one singular piece that has been more important to people's better cooking than YouTube. You know, I, I went back to the barbecue forums. That's where I used to get my info. You, you know, you stayed in the chat rooms and, and you just got on these big threads and you, you talked it out. There wasn't, you know, you didn't have the video side of it, but... When the video came along, I mean, people, I think people just learn it's the visual aspect of it. When you see someone doing it, you can say, hey, I can do that. And then you can go back and rewatch it. It has replayability. So that's, that's, you know, the great thing about it to me is I can slow it down. I can pause it. I use it. I use it all the time, man. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, I watch other people's cooking videos. I learn how to fix stuff if stuff breaks around the house. Yeah. It's just a great resource. You have the rubs, you have products, you now have the retail store, you've given classes. Have you ever considered or been approached to do anything further than that, like a book or even maybe a restaurant? Uh, you know, we've we've had some talks, but there's, I mean, we, we stay so busy now, Greg, it's hard to find time. You know, we're trying to, to, you know, build our team up and to where me and Rochelle can get more on the creative side doing different things. But, it, you know, our side, it's a full-blown business and we've, you know, we've got, uh, eight full-time employees now and it, wow, it, you know it's it's hard juggling that at times so that is absolutely amazing here you guys are uh, you know you get on youtube you blow up and look what it's evolved into i mean it is literally a how to barbecue right empire where i think you get a small snapshot or people will just stumble upon you and say hey here's a guy that's putting together these really cool cooking videos and I'm going to follow him and I'll watch every time he posts something. But when you start to look behind the scenes, there's a line of rubs. As you said, you got eight full-time employees now. I mean, it is a considerable business at this point. Do you have pressure now more than ever that you not only have your mouth and Rochelle's mouth and Michael's mouth to feed, but you have eight other people relying on you for work at this point? Oh, that's right. We're responsible for their families too. So no you know, it's a lot of pressure, Greg. It's yeah. a lot of pressure. We've we've got it. We've got to keep it going and and not let up and just you know keep doing what we do. Last time you were on, Malcolm, we were looking ahead to later in that week where you were going to be starting to build in for Memphis in May. You were off last year as everybody else was because of the pandemic, and uh, here it was returning in a fairly limited capacity or at least limited to what you've always been used to. So let's look at it from a high level. As you look back on Memphis in May 2021, what was your experience being there after having it ripped from you the year before? Well, this is the best weather we've ever had at Memphis in May. So the, the crowd wasn't bad. You know, they monitored it. They, they only let so many people in every day. Um, that was, that was okay with me. It was, you know, it wasn't elbow to elbow everywhere you went. So all that was enjoyable. Now the contest, it had its kinks. 
we had some problems in the rib division, which kind of screwed all of us up. Um, you know, my fellow rib cooks, we, um, they had some kind of mix up with the judging cards. Uh, once they, they turned the on-site judging, you know, Memphis and May has the two sides of it. It has blind judging, just like a, a regular barbecue contest. And then it has the on-site judging, which they actually come out to our booths. Well, they turned the judges out. They, a lot of them made it to the first team they were going to visit, started the presentations, and then all of a sudden they stopped the whole thing. They called all the judges back to the tent. They pulled all those cards up. There was a screw-up somewhere along the way. They printed um, duplicated cards or something is what I was told. Don't quote me on that, but it, there was there, there was a problem, and they caught it. But the problem was it took them like two and a half hours to fix it. So, you know, we've all got our ribs are on a tight timeline, man. We, you know, you've got the, bit, the whole hogs, the whole shoulders. You can hold those things. Ribs don't hold well. <laughs> So we had our first round of ribs ready to go for on-site judging, and all of a sudden we don't get to present them for two and a half hours. I mean, that knocked a lot of teams out of it. You so know, um, what it, happens it, it then? Be- when I mean, obviously there's nothing you can do about it. It's it, it's transpiring literally as it's happening, and every second that takes away, as you had mentioned, where the bigger cuts can probably sustain through a longer hold that you don't know why it's going on. The ribs certainly aren't in the same ability to sustain that kind of a hold so like what's your mindset going on and then are you told right up front as this is being announced that it's going to be an hour or two delay or are they just saying we're on delay and we'll let you know and then how do you work the ribs on the hold are you thinking the hot and fast new batch so something's fresh how does that whole thing mess with you guys well you know luckily we had staged some already so we can, because we have a finals round of judging, if you happen to make the top three, you get to go again for a finals presentation. So we had staged some ribs, um, kind of, you know, expecting that we may have a chance to make it that day. So we had to go with those ribs and we held ours and we were trying to make that call, but we had no idea how long the delay was going to be. At first it was 30 minutes and then it was an hour. Then they were going to give us a 30 minutes out. And it ended up being, I think our first judge was due at one thirty, and we didn't get them there till right at 415. Wow. So that's a that's a pretty long delay. Um and we you know we just made the best out of it. You know, it's barbecue. It wouldn't be Memphis and May if there wasn't something we had to overcome and it ended up being, you know, what team uh you know if if you were prepared and if you were kind of um I guess a seasoned team where you you might have faced something like that before, you probably did a little better and luckily we finished out the day uh, in the top 10. Do you recall the last time that there was a two or two and a half hour delay in judging like that? Uh, no, I don't recall that one. That was a new one for me. Uh, you know, I've had a few, you know, we've had a few minutes delay. We've had a judge come in the wrong order and you catch it or something come up like that. But I've never had one where everybody was delayed that long. Because, did, you know, I mean, two and a half hours, you could cook, you could almost cook another set of ribs in that amount of time. I mean, did you have a lot of teams say secretly that, Man, I had the best rib cook I've had. This was my moment in the sun, and then two and a half hours later, the ribs wilt. Oh, we all said that. <laughs> that was the excuse. <laughs> I, I had the winning ribs. I had the winning ribs, Greg. It was going to be a rib year. Rib was going to win grand, but the delay knocked us all out of it. So, when the on-site judging ended up happening, were they apologetic, or were they just like, "Hey, just let it rip, and we'll see how it goes." Um, they were, the judges were understanding. Um, I don't know if they gave them some kind of direction with telling them like, you know, know, these guys have been trying to do the best they can now because we understand there's a delay, but most of them, 
most of them come in the tent with the anticipation that they weren't going to be the best ribs they've ever had. And that played into our favor because I could sell those. And, you know, I, they was like, wow, how did you do that? You know, of course, you know, it, it, I just went into the whole spiel about how you hold ribs and you have to take the temp down and we have to reglaze them and we have to do <laughs> we didn't tell them we had some staged. <laughs> but was there an additional error made like in the calls? Did they oh, forget yeah, a team the, or something? So turns out the fourth place team, they I think it was a tie for the third place. Th- three of four tied, but it kicked a you know, they have a tiebreaker and it kicks one team down to fourth place. Well, when they pulled out the top three, somehow that fourth place team got dropped out of the top ten completely. So they didn't get called at awards. Hmm. And so we got called as I mean, from fourth down was wrong. So it pushed us all one spot back. So we actually got called as the sixth place team, but we theoretically, I mean, in actuality, we were the seventh place team and they had to contact all the teams and explain that situation to us. So I'm sure that was a hard, hard pill for Memphis and May to have to swallow. But I mean, things like that happen. It's it's not, you know, exact science. Um, You know, when it comes down to it, we're just cooking barbecue. so. So having seventh overall in the ribs category, what was that like? Oh, anytime you're in the top 10, man, it's, it's awesome. When you get to walk the stage, you know, you get your name called in front of all those people out there. Um, there was a fine line. I mean, we, I think we were just like t- a few tenths out of making the top, you know, the finals. And then when you get in the finals, it's a whole nother ball game. You got to go again. So you don't know where it'll shake out, but we only carried, I think like, Two, uh, a 9.8 and a 9.9. Everything else was perfect on ours. I mean, we were tinned out everywhere. So just those three little tenths of a point kept us out of the top three. Um, and, you know, you know, at that point, you don't change anything. You're just, you know, that's just where the dice fell that day. So we're just, you know, we'll go back and do the same thing next year. So had you made it into the finals since you used your staggered ribs for the judging, would you have been short ribs or did you like put extra ones on at that point just in case? Well, we had, we had, I think eight racks left. And so we used three for that on site. So we still had, I mean, we cooked, um, let's see, two cases of ribs that day. So that was 36 slabs of ribs. Wow. So we had, we, I mean, not everybody cooks that many, but if you don't, you know, if, if something happens, you got, you got ribs to go with. So we had plenty of ribs. Were the ribs category behind the eight ball at this point? You have the delay. You have potential of wilting ribs, as you were talking about. And then couple that with the fact that there were you know, way more rib teams than both shoulder and hogs combined. So it was just a harder field to get out of just by sheer numbers alone. I mean, was the stack or was the deck kind of stacked at that point? Yeah, it definitely hurt us, man, being in the rib category because, you know, the shoulders went off first and their, their finals judging happened. And then the, you know, they have hog right after that. And then there was this big delay because they had to tabulate all the rib scores after they delayed it. So, so you were already, I mean, those judges had already had a, a good break before they, after they had judged whole hog and shoulders. So it would, it would have been tough for a rib team to get up there and, and to win the whole thing. But, you know, we, we just, everybody gave it their best. Is this the best Memphis and May finish the team Killer Hogs has had to date? Uh no, no, we finished um we finished fourth before in shoulder. Uh it's the best rib finish we've had. I think before that we were at eleventh was our best rib, so 
So we're inching up there in ribs, Greg. So why why not go back to shoulder? If you have a better showing in shoulder, you're. I mean, I could make the argument that you're only a few short places away from you know going into the finals at that point versus something else. Yeah, we just felt like we wanted to change the scenery. We we we've cooked hog, we've cooked shoulder, and you get to me when you get to cook in this the same category, you kind of get stuck in this rut where you're at in the park. And I like you know if we feel like if we move around, we might get a little bit better shake up on some of the blind tables and. I don't know if it's true. It's just like superstition, but we're going to find a winning spot. And we're going to stick with it. So. Uh, Myra Mixon we're and Jack Old South wins it. Uh, that ties them with Big Bob Gibson's for five world championships at this point. And Myron does it at Hog, obviously. The thing that I found most interesting about his win is where a lot of teams, as you say, like to keep it consistent, don't change anything, especially with the Memphis of May because it's its own unique animal. When you seem to have things dialed in, you stick with them. Uh, Big Bob Gibson's has won the shoulder many times over. Uh, Jackson South won hog many times over. Except this time around, Myron changes the cooker completely, and he changes his injection completely. Could you look at it and say, you know what, it's about time you change something up because obviously what you had been doing between the last time you won it and now something wasn't right, so why not make a change? I don't know, man. Myron's been doing it a long time, so he's... He knows what he's doing, that's for sure. Um, you know, maybe he, he came up with a new injection that was just better than anything he did, but I don't know. It's it's hard to make those calls. If I was in those guys' shoes and had all those wins, I'd probably do the same thing. It'd be hard for me to change it up. Uh, I'd like to see them I'd like to I'd like to see them go and, and, and do some other categories now that they've been so successful in shoulder and hog because that would be my plan. Once I won it in one, I'd want to I'd want to try to get it in all three. I don't think that's ever been done. Well, I think maybe that's what separates your competition mind thought than a lot of folks. If you dial it in and you're successful in one, why change, especially something like that, that you could potentially hang multiple world championships on. But we move on from here. Malcolm Reed joining us here on the show. Of course, How to Barbecue Right is the YouTube channel. Subscribe to it if you're not. What's next on the competition schedule, Mal? Um, We've got a few local contests coming up here. And, uh, I may try to slip up to Galax, Virginia, and and see if I can get me one of those fiddles this year. What does that mean, a fiddle? So oh, that man! They've got the coolest awards at competition barbecue. They Galax, <laughs> Virginia, is this little mountain town in uh, Western Virginia, and they they're known. It's like the fiddling capital of the United States. They have a big fiddle convention up there, you know, bluegrass style music. Yeah. And so, for their awards, first through three, they give out fiddles that are like little custom fiddles with you know your place and all that on it, and then. The overall grand gets a custom banjo. So wow, I've got a few of the fiddles. I've never got the banjo. So, and it's been a few years since we've been up there. So me and Wayla may make that trek this year. You got a spot on the studio wall for to hang that banjo if you get it. Oh, you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, so let me transition here and talk about a five steak just for a moment. We got a couple minutes left. I don't know if a lot of people have tried it. I would say five, six, seven years ago, access to this was limited, if at all available, and you were really paying through the nose. By the way, still paying through the nose, but it is a lot more available than it used to be. So uh, is this something that you have had before? Yes, and I will say that I've had had the Japanese A5, the real Kobe stuff, and it will hurt you. <laughs> Don't think you can sit down and eat that whole filet or whole strip. I had a strip. Me and Rochelle and Michael both ate on it, and it was so good. It's probably the best 
the best meat I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> did it look and like? It's, it's um, did it look like this? Yes, it's yeah. exactly. It, it looks like fat flaked with lean. That's yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. But, so we we had this uh, last Friday evening. Uh, my parents were in, and to celebrate a year, almost a year later, their fiftieth wedding anniversary, I decided to do a steak tasting, if you will. So we had this up front. So we had on the on the right side, as you're wow. looking at it, we had uh, at the top. You have a strip, a prime, and wagyu. Then you have ribeyes in the middle, prime Wagyu, and then filet at the bottom, uh, prime and Wagyu. And then to go over the top at the end, we went ahead and dialed in this A5. So this was about a pound and a half, that A5, uh, just for point of reference. Uh, it's like 140 bucks a pound or whatever it is. So this steak by itself was $209 uh, or whatever it is. Uh, this is what it looked like coming off of the grill. Did a reverse sear on it and then uh, flash it on the reverse side of the grill grate, and then uh, you'll see what this looks like here on the inside. So this is what you're talking about. I mean, it's like you can see the the pink, <laughs> kind of, but man, there is, I mean, how would you describe it Like when you bite into it? Because I don't, I, I've yet to really find the, the best way to describe it. It's meat butter. That's how I describe yes, it. Yes, it that's like, right. It tastes, yes. like, it tastes like meat flavored butter. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I... I, I was people were like, well, you know, what was it like? And I said, well, you bit into it and it was like this explosion of uh, I want to say juice, but it wasn't juice because it was more viscous and it you know coated the palate and it was flavorful. But I agree uh, when I was consulting with Kevin over at the butcher shop on this and I said, he said, well, how many people and what's the thought? Blah, blah, blah. He said two to three ounces max because. If you think you can just sit down here and eat this whole steak, you're probably going to crap yourself, and you're not even going to be able to stop it. It's just going to like run through you if you sat down and ate it like a regular steak. So I would say you know two to three slices of of that, then it's probably satiated your curiosity and palate, and you're ready to you know take a sip of wine and move on to the next thing. Yeah, that was my experience too. I mean, it, it's just too much. It's it's a it's an overload of the, I don't know the. It's it's not it's not greasy. I wouldn't say it was greasy, no, no. but it's just an overload of richness, and uh, you know it, it it sticks with you all the way down, you know, to your guts. Yep, it's 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 very filling. Um, and I don't I don't think the Japanese people eat it very often. I really don't because yeah, they're just hoarding <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But like you said, uh, an ounce, uh, two, two to three ounces is max of what you you want to eat of that stuff, and it's and it's something that's you know it's it's special, it's unique. Now, is it as good as one of those primes or even the Australian wagyu you had? I don't think so. I, I, you give me you give me a good prime or or that A nine. Uh, I think that's an Australian A nine. It looked like down bottom. Yep. Um. That that those steaks right there are phenomenal, and you can eat that steak. It's not you know it's it, it's just a good marbled um uh, filet mignon, and you don't see that in, in a prime when you when you cook it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think by and large, uh, everybody concluded that on the if you were going to be eating a a steak like a traditional steak the wagyu or the prime was going to be the way to go but just for something to put it over the top the a5 was an experience to have and uh, no better uh, time to, to throw it out there than for a 50th wedding anniversary celebration as well so it was uh, fun and we thank uh, the gang over there at the butcher shop which he you know kevin has got all the crazy meat out there anyway right 
Oh, man. He called me the other day and wanted to know if I wanted to try some camel. I, said, I, had, to, I had to turn that down. I don't think I'm ready now. If these meat prices keep going the way they are, man, we all may be eating camel. I don't yeah, know. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> but Reed. if you're a steak lover, if this one thing, Greg, if you're a steak lover, you have to try that A5 one time in your life. Yeah. Just to, just, just to experience it. That's right. Save up. We call it the event steak. Uh, you know, something you're not going to eat the whole thing of, obviously, like we said, but a couple ounces, you can say you did it. You get to experience it and then, you know, see what that upper echelon is like. We're talking with Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right and Pitmaster of Killer Hogs, the seventh place rib team in the world there at Memphis in May a couple weeks ago. And you can find him right here on the first Tuesday of every month. Malcolm, always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Greg, and we'll see you next month. All right, there he is. The month of July, if you can believe it. Holy moly. Going quickly, I'm telling you. All right. If you were watching, I apologize if you're listening on podcasts. You might have to go back and watch the video to see the stakes we were talking about, but that's all right. I'll talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills before we get over to Adrian Miller to talk about Black Smoke. Some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. I used mine over the weekend. The Daniel Boone I did. Did a little smoking in there. Did a little reverse searing in there. Did a little pizza cooking in there. Delicious. Easy to use. You have Wi-Fi connectivity if you want on the Prime Plus line. You have lights inside the cooking chamber. Peek-in windows on the main cooking chamber. Also, the pellet hopper can connect to an app and you can control the temperatures up and down. You can even turn it off if you want to. It's fabulous. Go to GreenMountainGrills.com and check them out. See the products. And then go onto their dealer locator. That's the only place you can buy them. Go to the dealer. Have them educate you. Ask all your questions. You can take one home and then you are off and running. Success right off the bat. You can also go to GreenMountainGrills.com and look at all the other accessories that they're offering of course. Pellets. Rubs sauces, additional accessories to complete your Green Mountain Grill cooking experience, all the stuff there. But again, it's dealer network sold only. So go to GreenMountainGrills.com, go to dealer locator, find the one nearest to you, and then you're off and running. Once again, that's GreenMountainGrills.com. And don't forget the pizza oven insert. Jim Bowie, Daniel Boone, go on the back porch. Davy Crockett can go with you wherever you want. And you get some pretty good capacity too for that portability. GreenMountainGrills.com And we'll be back with Adrian Miller. Stick around. Be right back. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com as well if you would prefer. That's fine. They also have a number of different flavors. So, hey, get after it. CookinPellets.com. Chris Becker and the gang over there supplying great pellets. My next guest is known as the Soul Food Scholar. He sits on the Names Nominating Committee for the Barbecue Hall of Fame. As a multiple-time author who penned the book that many folks around the Live Fire community are talking about and reading right now, entitled Black Smoke. 
Let's go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome back Adrian Miller. But I know he's not there. How are you? There he is. Hey now. Hey now. What's up? Chilling, man. Right. Just trying to get on your level. Oh, no doubt. Oh, oh, my level. I don't even know what the hell kind of level I'm at. But if that's what we're striving for, then congratulations or I'm sorry. And I'm not sure which one I should be saying. Uh, let's see what we can plow through here. Uh, if we don't get through everything, then we can certainly go ahead and reschedule um, for another time. But I wanted to have you on, as I had mentioned in the open, uh, known as the Soul Food Scholar. You've penned a number of books, Soul Food, The President's Cab- uh, Kitchen Cabinet, and uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Black Smoke. Uh, before we get to that, though, yesterday you had quite a tremendous cook on your hands uh, from what I saw. Yeah, man, this was the rite of passage. Uh, my dad has officially uh, you know, hung up the tongs <laughs> when it comes to grilling. So he's he's 81. He's like, look, this is a lot of work, man. Y'all need to do this. So I stepped up. I got a little bit more char on, on one slab of ribs than I wanted, but otherwise, man, it was on point. I was really proud of myself. My dad actually said, hey, you know, you could go into business. Now, he was exaggerating, but the the fact that he – because, you know, there's some people – like he's a salt of the earth type, so if it was nasty, he would have said something. Oh, okay. He know? was going to let you have it if it was bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Got to keep it real. That's no doubt about it. Um, all right, right. So let's go ahead and talk about the book Black Smoke. And this is quite the project as I'm doing a little research on it uh, as far as books in the making. Conceptualized actually back when you were doing Soul Food, the book, correct? Right. Yeah. Because back then, um, I always – I don't know why this keeps popping out. I had always thought that um, I wanted to write about barbecue and soul food because so many – Soul food joints have a barbecue option on the menu, and then so many black-run barbecue joints have soul food sides. So I just thought, yeah, barbecue is part of soul food. But as I did more and more research, I just reached the conclusion that it was it was its own thing. So I figured, like, yeah, I'm going to have to write a book about that separately at some point. But, you know, that didn't stop me from doing research, meaning eating my way through the country because that's what I do. Um, so that was fun. So do you are you technically working on multiple books at one time or just in that instance? Just in that instance, because uh, and, and usually uh, I to answer your question, I do work on multiple books, but then at some point I focus in on just one because you know writing a book is crazy, so it takes a lot of effort just to you know uh, focus in on that. But yeah, at that point, because I was doing um, soul food, I knew barbecue was coming, and then while I was writing the soul food book, I started finding out about all these presidential cooks, so that led to the president's book. So I had kind of like three fo- floating in my mind at one time. Are you uh, easily inspired type of a guy? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I tell people I'm a curious guy with an appetite. So, you know, if I see something that um, uh, piques my interest, I, you know, I start researching it. And if I think it could lead to a broader story, then I'm, I'm all about it. So there are recipes in this book, but this is not a prototypical barbecue and grilling cookbook per se. So... Uh, in your words, what's the overarching goal for Black Smoke? Uh, so it's two parts. One is it's a celebration of African-American culture and then barbecue culture. Uh, and then the second part is it's a restoration of African-Americans to the center of the barbecue narrative in our country. Uh, because what's dismaying to me is that there nowadays you'll have all kinds of barbecue media, you know, TV shows, our magazine articles, you know, whatever. And they won't mention African-Americans. And uh, to me, that's just messed up. So I, I just thought that this book needed to be written as a thump on the head to say, look, you know, African-Americans have made significant contributions to what we call barbecue. You had mentioned in a previous interview that I was reading that 
as you were doing the research and going through all of the reference material that you were hoping to be able to claim that black people invented the barbecue that we know today. Unfortunately, not the case, and that uh, the indigenous Americans were the first ones that actually came up with it. So when do you see black people starting to show up as it was referencing barbecue? Yeah, let me just qualify that just a little bit. Please, so, um, please. You know, one thing I – because, yeah, I, de- I definitely wanted to prove that because it's one of the most delicious things on the planet. Um, but, you know, just looking at the evidence of what was happening 400 years ago when people started first started talking about barbecue, the mo- most of the evidence points towards Native, a Native American provenance. Now, I'd leave the door open for an African prominent provenance, and I'm just like, look, if somebody can prove the African origin, they're going to have to connect the dots better than I could. Uh, so I leave the door open, but I, I I think it's Native American at its foundation, and so part of just figuring that out was to just look at what Europeans were writing in their travel diaries as they're exploring what we call the American South uh, in the 1600s, and um, you know they they actually took stock of the ways that Native Americans cooked meat. So I was trying to figure out, you know, how do you get from what they're seeing to what we call barbecue, which is digging a pit, you know, a trench filling it with burning hardwood coals and then cooking whole animals butterflied over that um, because that's different than the accounts that we that we get in the Caribbean because the first accounts that we get of barbecue in the Caribbean are a raised platform with small animals fish some vegetables uh, over a slow fire and to me that's very different than digging a trench in the ground so I'm just wondering how did how did those two things uh, develop how are you able to track the progress and how are you able to see these things start to be revealed through books how do you even know where to to look well you know greg i have a lot of time on my hands i don't have as much of a life as you do so um or you're probably just a better student than me because i'm like i don't even know how to research evidently (laughs) so you know the the boon of my research is uh old digitized newspapers uh and magazines and uh companies are now digitizing sources that go back to the 1500s and 1600s so part of it is you just got to figure out how this barbecue was talked about at the time because as people are grappling to describe this process, some people called it broiling. A lot of people did use barbecue, and it was spelled in all these different ways. So you just have to figure out what's going on at that time, and then that starts to reveal things. And then you know, I just tried to figure out whatever travel diaries I could find. Um, you know, I wanted to use those as primary sources. So here's the challenge. Um, both in West Africa and with indigenous people, we're dealing with people that had an oral tradition, right? Um, they didn't have a literary tradition. So, you know, it's hard to just pinpoint what was happening. And so I am relying on European sources. And there are some people that will say, well, you're relying on Europeans to get it right. And, you know, I, I think I lay out in my book the problems with that. But, you know, as somebody who's trying to figure this out, I just have to go with what I have available. Uh, and just see where it leads me. So part of it was um, mainly the newspaper magazines and then just these travel diaries. Um, and not only with Europeans in the American South, but also Arab travelers to West Africa prior to European contact. A lot of times they wrote about food. So it's just trying to see, are, are there any hints of something that might be an antecedent um, to barbecue there? When we talk about where barbecue started and barbecue meccas, certainly we have the old standbys, Carolinas, Texas, Memphis, Kansas City. But as I was looking at some things that you were saying, perhaps you've made an assertion that barbecue started in Virginia. Is that 100% factual or is there any gray area there where we want to street fight about? 
<laughs> oh, we can always street fight about it, right? That's one of the glories. <laughs> Not me. Of Not me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I was really, uh, I was really persuaded by a book called Virginia Barbecue by Joseph R. Haynes, and you know he collected a lot of documentation of what was going on. And I tried to look in the Carolinas and other places, and it just seems that the earliest recollections of barbecue are tied to Virginia. In fact, so much so that in the early years, it was called having a Virginia barbecue. So even as barbecue spread from Virginia to other places, you know, I found an article in, I think it was the 1830s in Kentucky where this guy who was a Virginian moved out there and he said, I'm gonna have a Virginia barbecue in Kentucky. So they didn't call it Kentucky barbecue, that would happen later. So, um, again, just by what's written and kind of anecdotal evidence that's available, um, it just looks like Virginia was the birthplace. And then as Virginians and slavery spread to other parts of the South, barbecue followed. Uh, Because my argument in the book is that the the very big barbecues um, were possible because of the labor of enslaved people, uh, because barbecue was scalable. You know, there are records of barbecues for 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people. Now, are those numbers accurate? Probably not, right? Because they didn't have satellite technology to actually count the number of people. (laughs) But um, they were big events. And uh, you never hear about a fried chicken dinner for 10,000 people, right? Because logistically, that would just be impossible. But barbecue is scalable. And as long as you have enough labor, space, meat, you know, all the things, you can make a big barbecue happen. Is it convenient for me to say that at some point down the line, the contribution that uh, that African Americans have made to barbecue and its evolution have been whitewashed out on purpose? And why, by that, the way? Yeah, go ahead. And, um, I think in some areas. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's. I was just wondering if it's been whitewashed, and, and if so, why? Yeah. So um, my take is that it's been whitewashed in certain areas because. In places like Memphis and Kansas City, I think they've always acknowledged the um, debt owed to African-Americans to their barbecue scene. But, you know, I think one of the classic examples is Texas. So uh, when you think about Texas barbecue, I think everybody gravitates to the central part of the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the most popular in the world, I would argue. Um, More proof that Texans are just the best cheerleaders for their culture. Uh, But we've got other barbecue traditions in that state. In the South, you've got the Latino tradition, the barbacoa. Uh, you know, that existed before Texas was even a state or a country. Uh, but some of the earliest barbecue we talk, that we learn about is when uh, slaveholders from other parts of the South migrate to Texas and East Texas. And so we have documents um, showing African-Americans performing the labor of barbecue in the 1820s and 30s, well before the Central European immigrants arrive in Central Texas. Um, and so one thing I noticed is that if you look at kind of even in Texas, like Texas Monthly, you'll see in the 60s and 70s, a lot of the barbecue mentions will include African-Americans. But then by the time you get to the late 80s and 90s, that's not so much the case. Um, and uh, to me, that's a whitewashing. And then you see the same pattern emerging in general media. So um, when I do my talks, I'd like to show this picture from 1895 at the Atlanta Exposition. It's a beautiful kind of illustration um, that was on the cover of Harper's Weekly. And it's the classic trench method with African-Americans doing the work, um, making the side dishes, replenishing the fire, all of that stuff is happening. And then fast forward, you get to 2003 with a Bon Appetit article on who's who in American barbecue. And man, this is like a backyard scene. There's dudes playing croquet, 
badminton, <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, you remember Where's Waldo? Uh, yeah. At least yeah. in those, yeah, at least in those illustrations, Waldo shows up. But in that illustration, no African-Americans. There's one Asian-American guy with a beach ball and one woman, and that that's it for diversity. And so to me, um, you know, that that's a whitewashing. And uh, I think a lot of it is owed to the fact that the people who are deciding what stories need to be told about barbecue are either non-diverse or not interested in diversity. And so the same people get offered over and over again as the experts. And those typically were white dudes. Adrian Miller joining us here on the show. Uh, Adrian, I'm uh, going to be a shithead and uh, we have to cut out at this point. However, uh, I will get with you offline so we can uh, quickly reconnect again and uh, get back. I have way more controversial stuff to talk about in regards <laughs> to race relations here in the country, and we're going to solve it on the show. Uh, but we will have to do it at a different time. Uh, tell everybody uh, what you have coming up and uh, where we can get the book and all the fun stuff. Yeah, so just uh, go to soulfoodscholar.com. You could get an autographed copy from me. I'm happy to sign it anywhere you, any way you want. If you want me to say I couldn't have written it without you, happy to do that. Um, available online booksellers. Uh, check your local library or independent booksellers. And then I've got events coming up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Juneteenth event. And then um, I'll be in New Orleans at the end of June to do a barbecue event. So thanks for having me on your show. All right. Uh, we will reconnect and uh, we'll have you on back super soon. That's uh, Adrian Miller right there. Thank you, Adrian. Damn it. We were just getting ready to get into the good stuff. Always controversial. And then look at me being double controversial. How about that? Look, the book is great. Uh, Sylvie, I apologize um, for the technically challenged and then time reduced. Hey, we'll get it corrected. Don't worry about it. It's one thing you can count on me. I will get it corrected. You know, maybe, maybe. Adrian, hang tight. I'll get back in touch with you so we can wrap this up the right way. Uh, Let me talk to you quickly about Primo Cookers as we're getting ready to wrap the first hour. A patented oval design offering true two-zone cooking. What does that mean? It means coals on the right side and nothing on the left side, if that's how you stack it. And then you can bring the meat up gradually over the no-coal side and then Wham! Right over the coals to finish it off. Get that nice charring, all the good stuff. You got more than 60 cooking configurations. You got products that are made right here in the States. Precision-controlled manufacturing. The highest quality ceramics of any other cooker. You got me doubled in the screen. I just found that. You also have the new lift hinge, which you can get right now. It will lift. It will reduce the amount of lift that you need by 70%. Precision control top and bottom airflow. Yes, you can do that now with number settings. Go to your nearest Primo Grill dealer and get those retrofit kits. Easy to do. Both Nick and I can do those, so you know you can do it. You can upgrade your existing Primo with all the new features if you want. Visit your local dealer to see all the product improvements for yourself before you buy. PrimoGrill.com is the website. You can get a dealer locator there as well. Primo Ceramic Grill on Instagram. Primo Ceramic Grills on Facebook. We're back to wrap the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. And this portion brought to you by Fireboard. 
monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously, connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring, or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're fully, uh, you're fully in luck, or you're in luck because it's fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, and Fireboard 2 Pro for all you high heaters out there. All right, we thank Adrian Miller for calling in. We'll get that worked out. Next time, we'll do it on my software. We'll have it triple worked out. That way, you can only fail like twice. And we'll get the rest of the story. We'll talk about other major events here in culture because I want to do that. We'll go from there. Uh, hopefully, next week, we can reline them back up. But we'll have Meathead in the first hour. I got somebody else coming up. Next week, oh, a pit barrel cooker, I believe. But maybe we can have Adrian close the show. We are heading to the second hour. Special guests lined up at the top because you know what's happening. So stick around. We'll be right back.